1: To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor.
2: Here's Daniel. He's living in Babylon. He wants to Pray for a place that's very far away from him. He's living in in Babylon, and he wants to pray for, verse 2, verse 2, the desolations of Jerusalem. Daniel's in Babylon. He wants to pray for for a place that's 1,500 miles away from him. It's like us wanting to pray for, I don't know, Seattle or wherever, 1,500 miles away is a long way. And Jerusalem is destroyed it's in ashes, and Daniel can't see the destruction because he's 1,500 miles away from it, but he wants to feel the destruction. And so Jerusalem is in ashes, and so what does he do? He undresses himself, and he dresses himself in sackcloth and ashes, just so he can feel the destruction and the ashes that Jerusalem is in. You know, we live, we live relatively speaking, in comfort. We live with the comfort of the assurance. We have a blessed assurance that Jesus is mine. We have a security of heaven. We're bound for heaven as our final destination. And we want to pray for those who are on their way to hell. We want to pray for those who are on their way to hell. And God doesn't need, he doesn't need us to pray apathetically like a typewriter with our prayers. He doesn't need to just say words. He needs us to feel like Daniel was feeling. Daniel said he was praying with fasting. Fasting, let's face it, fasting makes you miserable. I don't know about you, it does me. I've been practicing that for a long time. Not fasting, that is. Anyway, it fasting makes us miserable, and that's what God wants. He wants that feeling of miserable, just like Paul. When Paul prayed for the lost condition of the Jewish people, it was with passion, in Romans 9.1, Romans 9.1, he says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I can wish myself were cursed from Christ, for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites. So Daniel has made himself feel miserable because Jerusalem is in a miserable state. He gets down to the business of praying. He's really going to business now in verse four. In verse four, when he says, I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, Oh Lord God, O Lord, the great dreadful God keeping covenant mercy. He says, I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession. This is the first step in prayer. That's the first step in prayer, self-check. He's done a self-check, and he's making sure there's nothing between his soul and the Savior. It's a very interesting hymn, very interesting hymn. I'm going to read the words of that hymn, Nothing Between My Soul and the Savior. And the hymn states things that could come in between our soul and the Savior. It's in that hymn there. And, and I, I want you just to, as I read it now, just count up how many things are stated in this hymn that could come between our soul and the Savior. Okay, you ready? So I'm gonna read it, so you count them up, you tell me how many you get. Nothing between my soul and the Savior, not of this world's delusive dream. I have renounced all sinful pleasure. Jesus is mine, there's nothing between. Nothing between like worldly pleasure. Habits of life, though harmless they seem. Must not my heart from him ere suffer. He is my all, there's nothing between. Nothing between, like pride or station, self-life or friends, shall not intervene. May cost me much tribulation, I am resolved. There's nothing between. Nothing between my soul and the Savior, so that his blessed face may be seen. Nothing preventing the least of his favor. Keep the way clear. Let nothing between. How many things you count up? You got nine? You got eight? <laughs> well, you probably saw more than I did. Wow. <laughs> okay. I got eight. This world's delusive dream. Okay? Sinful pleasure. Worldly pleasure. Habits of life. Pride or station, another one, self-life, or friends. Those are the things. So Daniel does a self-check. He checks over those eight items, or ten, or however many you got there, and that could come in, and when he's checked it all over, he says, okay, I've got it now. I know what I'm going to confess. I know what I'm going to turn from. So now there's nothing between my soul and the Savior so that his blessed face may be seen nothing preventing the least of his favor, and I want some favor from him when it comes to Jerusalem and the people. So what he does in verse four, he says, I prayed unto the Lord my God, and I made my confession. After he's done this self-check. In all of this prayer, he's banking on the promise of God. He's not just hoping God will hear him. He's banking on the promise of God because God's a promise keeper, and the Bible is full of promises from God that to be banked on. There's a promise for eternal life in the Bible. First John 5:11 is a promise for eternal life. This is the record that God has given to us: eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Two weeks ago, my little granddaughter Kate was baptized, and when she got up before her baptism, this is the verse she quoted: "There's no hope to get to heaven." without that promise, but this is a situation where we can know that we're going to have it based on banking on that promise. There's a promise for forgiveness of sins. There's a promise for forgiveness of sins. We don't have to live under the continual burden of, oh, I've been so terrible and I can't be forgiven, I can't be forgiven, because God says in his promise in 1 John 1, 9, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Daniel is confessing his sin. There's a promise for companionship. We don't have to go through life saying, I'm lonely, I'm so lonely, I'm all alone. No, there's a promise in Hebrews 13, 5. Hebrews 13, 5. He has said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we would boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do unto me. So he's banking on the promises, and the promises that he's banking on are in verse four, in verse four, where Dan- Daniel says, You God are keeping covenant and mercy. Covenant and mercy. He's not, if we don't fail to do our part of the bargain, God will not fail to do his part of the bargain. If we confess our sins, he will forgive. If we have the son, we will have eternal life. If we, if we don't forsake him, he will not forsake us. So he's taking care of all of this. And he turns now, he's gone from verse 4, confess my sin, and now he transitions, he pivots in verse 5, when he says, we have sinned and have committed iniquity and done wickedly, rebelled, departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. So he's already confessed his own personal sins, but now he confesses the sin of his people. Why does he do that? Why, why, Why does Daniel confess sins that he hasn't done necessarily. This shows the heart of Daniel. Daniel is not pointing the finger and saying, they did it, not me. Oh, That was like, I told you that. When uh, Scott and I were at the CEF booth in Del Mar and two little kids came and sat in front of me, a brother and a sister, little tiny kids. And I looked at both of them and I said, I said to the, the little boy was younger than the little girl. I looked at the little girl and I said, have you ever told a lie? And she said, he has. <laughs> and Daniel's not doing that. He's not pointing his finger and saying, they did all this, please forgive them. He's saying, we have sinned. That's what an intercessor looks like. He identifies with the people he's trying to see saved, just like the Lord Jesus in Hebrews 2.14. Hebrews 2.14, where it says, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. Hebrews 4.15, Hebrews 4.15, we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. When we want to make intercessory prayer, when we want to pray for somebody else, when we want to pray for a lost person, for a sinful person, it's a good thing for us to remember what it was like before we came to Christ. In order to feel the pain, in order to feel the misery that fasting brings, the misery of the lost person, that's the idea behind how God told the Jewish people they were to treat strangers, treat the aliens who come in, treat the people who are not part of Israel. And God told Israel, I want you to feel the heart of a stranger by remembering your own past in Exodus 23.9, Exodus 23.9. Also thou shalt not oppress a stranger, for you know the heart of a stranger, seeing you were strangers in the land of Egypt. And this is how God wants us to pray for the lost, because the lost are what we were at one time, as it says in Ephesians 2.12, Ephesians 2.12. At that time, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, And strangers from the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And in order for us to pray for the lost, we need to do what it says in Exodus 23:9. Exodus 23. Know the heart of a stranger, seeing you were strangers. So Daniel prays, We have sin. Can you imagine trying to pray for our country? Can you imagine trying to pray for our country? And you're looking at the sins in our country, the USA. Is guilty of and you're praying something like this: Lord, we have sinned by committing homosexuality. Lord, we have sinned by killing babies. But me, you're not a homosexual, you're not you haven't killed you haven't had abortion, but you pray, we have sinned by committing homosexuality. We have sinned by killing babies. That's what Daniel's doing in verse five. In verse five, when he says, We have sinned. We have is what intersection intercession looks like. We have is what intercession looks like. Now Daniel empties himself of any argument that there is any righteousness in himself and his people when he says in verse 7, in verse 7, O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but unto us confusion of faces, as at this day. And then he goes on in verse 7. When Daniel says, righteousness belongs to you, but unto us confusion faces," he's now talking about what belongs to God and what belongs to man. Daniel puts God and man side by side, and he says, hands down, righteousness goes on the side of God. No righteousness on the side of man, righteousness goes on the side of God, but to man, what belongs to man is what is translated confusion of faces. Daniel is speaking of for all Israel and he's claiming there's not any righteousness in any part of Israel. He's actually saying the words very similar to Isaiah 64, 6, Isaiah 64, 6, which says where it's really Israel now making their confession. This is not a statement about Israel. Isaiah 64, 6 is Israel now Making their own words. They're saying their own words. They're saying, we, Isaiah 64, 6, we are all as an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags and we all do fade as a leaf and our iniquity is like the wind have taken us away. So Daniel is saying all this to make the confession of sin absolutely complete. He's not saying that someone else made him sin or or, or made them sin, or there's no, there's no excuses, none of that. And this is what true confession looks like. True confession looks like total responsibility taking, taking total responsibility for sin. And the word confusion that he's used in, in verse seven and in verse eight, it's a very important word because he uses it twice here in verses seven and eight, unto us confusion of faces in verse seven and in verse eight, Lord, to us belongeth confusion of faces. The word confusion in the Hebrew is bosheth. And Bosheth is an interesting word because when the king of Assyria came with all those men to destroy Jerusalem, and when God destroyed all those men, and the king of Assyria went back to his land, this is what it says about how he returned in 2 Chronicles 32.21. 2 Chronicles 32.21. The Lord sent an angel which cut off all the mighty men of valor and the leaders and captains in the camp of the king of Assyria. So he returned with shame of face to his own land, shame of face, Psalm 44, 15, the bo-shet. boshet, the face, shame of face, and Psalm 44, 15, Psalm 44, 15 says, the shame of my face has covered me, again, same word, boshet. and then in Job 8, 22, Job 8, 22, they that hate thee shall be clothed with shame and the dwelling place of the wicked shall come to naught. See, this is the word bosheth. It's the word shame. And this is what Daniel is meaning here in verses 7 and 8. Might as well have translated, unto us shame of faces. And in verse 8, unto to us belongeth shame of faces. So he's emphasizing here the national guilt when he says in verse 8, O Lord, to us belongs shame of face. And then he lists to who he's talking about. To our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. He's not saying that it's centered in one little group of dirty, rotten sinners. He's saying all, all Israel. Its Sin has permeated from the top to the bottom. In every home, it is, in verse eight, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers. And up to this point, Daniel has said that righteousness belongs to God and shame belongs to him and his people. And that statement alone does not clear a path for forgiveness. It doesn't clear a path for reconciliation with God. So now he goes on and he says there's something else that belongs to God, not just righteousness. But he says in verse 9, verse 9, to the Lord our God belong mercies and forgiveness, though We have rebelled against him. So now he's got a way now. He's got a way for Israel to be reconciled to God. He's got a way for a man to be saved from their sins. He's got a way for a man to be pardoned. In verse 9, that's what he's got. To the Lord our God, belong mercies and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. He's got a hold of an argument now. Daniel does. He's got a plea. God is not only righteous, but God is full of mercy and forgiveness. And Daniel says, well, how much mercy and forgiveness does God have? That's the word though. This is where he really centers on the word though. Though, it blows the lid off the treasure chest of mercy and forgiveness with God, that word though. Even though we have rebelled against him, God is still full of mercy and forgiveness. Even though our rebellion is against God himself. Personally, even though we have slapped God in the face, With sin, God is still full of mercy and forgiveness. And you can just take that word though and write it by the verse, Romans 5.20. Romans 5.20. Romans 5.20 is, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Though fits in there where it could be in Romans 5.20. Though sin abounded, grace did much more abound. There's absolutely no explanation for why God should be the though God, why God show all this mercy, all this forgiveness, because we rebelled against him. The only explanation for this is found in who God is. And Moses said, Moses said, God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. And the glory of God, we've been talking a lot about glory today. And the glory of God was the explanation of who God is. So when Moses prayed, show me your glory, God said, okay, I will. In Exodus 34, 6, Exodus 34, 6, the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long suffering and abundance in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And that will by no means clear the guilty. This is who God is. Daniel, and so, so Daniel, he knows how deep the sin is that he's trying to get forgiven. And he says in verse 13, he says in verse 13, as written in the law of Moses, all this evil is come upon us. Yet, that's a terrible word in this verse. Yet, we made not our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand that truth. That's an amazing thing that God is though he has so much mercy and forgiveness, and when all the judgment comes on Israel, Israel is yet with all the mercy, with all all the judgment and all the evil that came on Israel. Yet Israel doesn't pray; they don't pray. Man doesn't pray, and that's an amazing thing. That's an amazing thing about a hard heart. It doesn't turn when it looks rationally what's happened, and it realizes that there's a though invitation, a though invitation of Isaiah one eighteen, Isaiah one eighteen, where God says. Come, here's the invitation. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. That's a though invitation. That's a though invitation. And then the refusal to repent. This is seen at the great tribulation and the tribulation in Revelation, Revelation 16, Revelation 16, there's the yet. The yet, eh? Revelation 16, 9, Revelation 16, 9, the men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues, and they repented not to give God glory. You could say, yet they repented not to give God glory. Revelation 16, 11. Revelation 16, 11. they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and repented not of their deeds. You could say, yet they repented not of their deeds. Literally the words in Daniel 9.13, Daniel 9.13, when it says, we have not made ourselves sick and grieved before the face of God. The face of God is in that verse in Hebrew. We have not made ourselves sick. We have not made ourselves grieved, fasting, miserable, whatever you want to think, sackcloth, ashes. We have not made ourselves miserable before the face of God. In other words, we've not done anything to make our peace with God or be reconciled to him or show them how grieved we are. And this is a serious problem. And you know, whenever we real, you know, we have a lot of COVID now and people are getting COVID and the, you know the 911s are being called and the ambulance is coming and you know it's a, or we have a heart attack and the ambulance comes and 911 is dialed because it's an emergency and someone might die. And so that's what we do physically. We call 911 and the ambulance come. I want to know, where's the spiritual 911 ambulance?
1: Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org.